It is so good to see you. My name is Mel, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Summit. I want to welcome you and say thank you for joining us. If you're watching online at summittogether.com, thank you so much for making the Summit a part of your day, no matter where you are or how you're joining us. So if you're part of the Summit family, but you're on vacation today, or maybe you're just watching from someplace off and away, we're glad that you are joining with us today. Uh, We are in part two of our Advent series, and last week we talked about peace and the peace of God, and this week we're going to be talking about love. And really this series, what it's really all about is um, Advent is a, is a word, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, it means the arrival. And for us, it signifies two things. Number one, it signifies the arrival of our Savior, that Jesus came to this earth and he was born of a virgin in a manger. He lived a perfect life, he died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again. He makes intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. That was the long explanation. But that is, that's what we celebrate. We celebrate the arrival of Jesus, but we also celebrate his return, that he's going to arrive again someday, and he's not going to arrive as a baby in a manger. He's going to arrive as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to be uh, enthroned, and we are going to know that he is the God of the universe when he shows up. There's not going to be any room for doubt or any question about that. And so what Advent is for us is an opportunity to celebrate and prepare for the birth of our Savior and celebrate his birth, but also prepare our hearts for his return, because Jesus is coming back someday, and we need to be ready for that. You know, uh, I shared last week in Mark chapter 13, Jesus shared a story with his followers, and he described the situation where there was a man who owned a house, and he was going to go away on a trip, and he didn't tell his, his servants or his workers when he was coming back, but he gave them all responsibilities and, and told them to go do their jobs because he didn't want to come back and find them asleep on the job. So Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 13, uh, verse 37, he says, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And so what Jesus was saying is, be prepared because I'm coming back and you're not going to know when. You're not going to know when it's going to happen. So stay awake, be prepared. And that's what this series is really all about. It's about us being prepared, not just for Christmas celebration, but for the return of our Savior. Like I said, today we're talking about love and love is something that uh, for, for a lot of us, it has multiple meanings. It has a lot of different things. Some of us, it's, uh, it's you know, what we've seen in movies. You know, you see movies and it's sappy and it's, it's this, you know, white horse and sweeping the woman off her feet. And sometimes we have that kind of picture for love and, and that's fine. Uh, but how many of you, if you've been married for any amount of time, know that the white horse d- doesn't always stay under the, the rider, right? Like... Uh, you got, you got to put the white horse in the stable sometimes, and you got to feed the horse, and the horse is messy. It makes it, you know, you got to clean up after the horse, and, and that's kind of what, what love is like in reality. And, you know, you Barry White songs, like, hey, baby, you look so fine tonight. But like a married Barry White song would be more like, hey, baby, you look good in them sweatpants. You know, like, <laughs> let's be honest, right? So love is not just what we see in media or what we hear in music. Love is much bigger than that. It's much broader than that. And the Bible has a very specific definition for what love is. And so I want us to look at that and then apply that. That'll be the backdrop for the rest of this message today. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's loved as, known as the love chapter. And this is what it says. It says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. You know, some of you are going to remember this scripture when it's time to pick where you're eating lunch today. You're like, honey, where are we going to lunch? Well, I want to go here. And you're like, no, I, we're going here. And then the wife's going to say, love does not insist on its own way. You go, okay, fine. 
It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, what we see here is an accurate depiction of what love really is, what true love is. True love is not the, the prince and the princess riding off together. True love looks different than that. True love is sacrifice. True love is submission. True love is what is described here in 1 Corinthians 13. That it, it's, it's hard work. Patience is hard work. Kindness is hard work, right? It's not easy to be nice to people, is it? But that's what love does. Love shows itself through kindness. Love doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. Now, for the very best of us, it's hard not to be rude sometimes, isn't it? Now, this really bears itself out. Uh, my daughter goes to East Pike, and, and the faculty, the teachers at East Pike are fantastic. Heather Edmonds, and she's a teacher at, at East Pike. Woohoo! Yay, Heather. We, I love East Pike, but I will tell you, my, my relationship with God is tested in the drive through line, like the pickup line at East Pike Elementary, because you're not supposed to get out of your car. But they get out of their car, and, and, and they won't just get out of their car and get their kids out and jump back in their car. They'll get out of the car, and then they'll talk to their kids for a minute, like, okay, yeah, yeah. And you're sitting behind them, and you're like, my kid is already in their classroom learning right now. And I'm waiting, and they're unbuckling, and they're talking, and they get them out, and they, like, lick and wipe the face. And like, I don't know who came up with that. It's disgusting. There's wet wipes for that, Okay. <laughs> And they're fixing the jacket. They're doing the whole thing. And I'm sitting there for five minutes. It's like, you're not even supposed to get out of your car. But not only did you get out, and so I'm like, Lord, and Lord is sanctifying me right then. Like, that is an opportunity for me to grow in my relationship with God. But don't we all do that? Don't we all have moments when we go, why are they, if people were just as smart as me, this world would be better off, right? <laughs> and we get rude. We get angry. And it's hard for us to show love all the time. In fact, I would say it's impossible for us to show love all the time. It's impossible for us to be fully loving like we should, especially apart from Jesus Christ. Because there's no way to love people except by knowing the love of Jesus. And I will tell you this, that God wants us to love in preparation for celebrating the birth of Jesus, but we should be loving because we know that our Savior is coming back for us someday. This is what Rick Warren says. Rick Warren said, God is love. He didn't need us, but he wanted us, and that is the most amazing thing. God loves us, not because he needs us, but because he wants us. He chose to love us, and that's amazing. You know, Pastor Dick shared a few minutes ago, Pastor Scripture that I love, that, that God loves us at our worst, not just at our best, that you and I, at our very worst moment, in our worst thought, with our worst action, God still loved us. He chose to love us, not because he needed to, but because he wanted to. He chose you. In fact, the most famous passage of Scripture ever written, I mean, it's displayed at football games and all across America, is John 3.16. This is what it says in John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, I want to stop right there. It says, for God so loved the world, and this might not seem like a big deal to you because we've grown up in Western Christian culture and we understand this, but to the Hebrew world, this was huge. This was a momentous statement because up to that point, the, the world understood that God loved Jewish people, that they were the chosen. 
And so when John comes out and he says, guess what? God doesn't just love the Jewish people. God sent his son Jesus for the whole world. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. It doesn't matter what your place in society is. It doesn't matter uh, what kind of role you have at your job. It doesn't matter who your parents are. None of that stuff matters. What matters is, are you loved by God and do you love him? You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to jump through the hoops. You don't have to do their rich. You don't have to because God so loved the entire world that he gave his son. And we see a theme throughout John's writings, whether it's uh, the, the gospel of John or whether it's through the other writings, that we see that he talks about the sent son a lot. And this is big because in the Hebrew world, uh, the messenger in many ways was just as important. He carried the same weight as the one who's sending the message. So it's not like, you know, the U.S. mail, you get a letter in the mail and it's from your grandma and it's a, you know, $5 bill for your birthday, right? Like you, you get, the, you're like, hey, and you don't like hug the mailman. Thank you so much for the $5. The mailman's like, I just brought the mail. Like I didn't, I didn't give you the money. But in the Hebrew world, the one who was bringing the message literally carried the power, the authority of the one who's sending the message. So understand this, when Jesus was sent by God the Father, and then in the Great Commission when he says, go, I'm sending you just as I was sent, we have to understand that we are sent in the same authority and the same power that God has, that he sent Jesus in that way, and then Jesus said, I'm sending you also, so go. We have that same authority. So when we see that John highlights this and talks about God sending his son, this is what it says in verse 17. It says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Aren't you thankful for that? That God didn't send his son to the world to condemn us, to make us feel like trash, and you're just horrible, and you're just lucky to have a savior like me because, man, I've seen what you've done, and I know how you are, and I know how you think, and right? That's not why God sent Jesus into the world. He sent Jesus into the world to reconcile us back to him, to have a relationship with him. Verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now, verse 18 is important, and this is why. This is kind of a little off topic for the day, but this, it's okay. Um, there are people in this world that would tell you all roads lead to heaven. That if you are just, if you just are sincere enough in your belief, it doesn't matter if you're Buddhist or if you're Hindu, or if you're Muslim, it doesn't matter, all roads lead to God. If you just are sincere and you really love people and you're moral and all those kind of things, that it's okay, all roads lead to heaven. And I will tell you, this is not popular to say in the world we live in today, but not all roads lead to heaven. And if you don't believe me, then verse 18 is a lie, because it says very clearly that Jesus is the way, that there is no other way. It's by the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the only way there is to heaven. And so we can trick ourselves into believing if I'm just good enough, I'll make it to heaven. If, if I just am, am a nice enough guy, if I just don't look at the wrong things online and I look at the right, if I treat my wife right, if I pay my taxes, then I'll get to go to heaven. But none of that stuff matters. What matters is, are, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But if you don't believe in him, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're condemned. And that's not popular. We don't like talking about that, but that's the truth. So you say, well, Mel, verse 16 says God loves the whole world. Absolutely. He does. He loves every person sitting in this room. But the truth is, if we don't choose Jesus, then we are rejecting that relationship. So he can choose us all he wants, but we have to make a choice for him as well. Verse 19, and we'll come back to this in a couple weeks, but Verse 19 says this, 
And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, when Jesus came in the form of a baby in Bethlehem, one of the reasons we see lights on trees and candles and all those kind of things is because Jesus literally was the light of the world. He brought light into a dark world. And what it has done is it illuminated our lives. Now, this is the thing. We can look at that. Have you ever been sitting in a dark room before? And maybe the lights went out, the power, you lost power wherever you were at, and the lights went out. And for just a second, you think, like, whoa, hey, it's dark. I can't see anything. Your, lights aren't, your eyes aren't adjusted to the lack of light. And as soon as the light comes on, you, you, you know, pull out your flashlight app on your phone or whatever it is. You pull out some light. It's like, okay, you feel just a little bit better. Not that you're petrified of the dark, but there's just an uneasiness in us when there's a lack of light because we, it's part of our senses. We want to see what's around us. And spiritually speaking, we were in darkness. And Jesus showed up and he illuminated life for us. He gave us light to see the world by And there is hope in that. But also, when the light shows up, it illuminates some dark areas of our lives. And it makes us uneasy and uncomfortable at times. We're like, ooh, you know what? This was kind of hidden. Have you ever tried to get ready in the dark? Anybody? Yeah? Um, The house, we, we used to have a house that the bathroom, it was like designed in the early 70s. And for some reason, the, the sink and the, the vanity for the bathroom was open to the bedroom. And so I would try to get ready you know, without turning the lights on because I didn't want my wife to wake up because I'm that kind of husband. And so I, um, I'm just kidding. And so I would, you know, it, it doesn't take much to fix my hair, right? It's not like it's precise. And so I'd throw some stuff in my hair and then I would get to work sometimes and I'd be like, oh my gosh. And I wouldn't see this gigantic pimple on my face or, you know, like something like the croutons in my eyes or whatever it was. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I did not see this because I was looking at the mirror in the dark, right? And some of us spiritually are like that. We are looking at ourselves in a mirror and we think, I'm good. I look fantastic. It's because there's no lights on. And Jesus shows up. He illuminates our world and we go, oh my gosh. I had no idea I looked like that, right? And so it makes us uneasy. And so Jesus came on the scene. He illuminated our lives. But when he comes back, he's not coming in all happiness and rainbows and butterflies. He's coming back to reclaim his church, but he's coming back to bring judgment as well. And he's bringing a light that he's going to shine into our lives. And we have to be prepared for that even right now. So how do we prepare for that? We prepare for that by loving, by responding to the way he loved us. First John chapter four, we're staying with the John theme today. First John chapter four, verse seven says, beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. What he's saying is what I said just a few minutes ago. The only way we can really love is by having a relationship, a healthy, loving relationship with God, because he gives us the ability to love others well. And and this is not an easy button kind of thing where I say, hey, if you're struggling in your marriage, just get saved, and your marriage is going to be perfect. It's not like that. Some people think it is. Well, if I just give my life to Jesus, I start going to church, my marriage is going to be perfect, my relationship is going to be perfect, my boss is going to love me, and that's not how it works all the time. But what happens is the more we grow in our relationship with God, the more we understand how to love well. And that gives us the ability to love people the way God wants us to love. 
So he's saying the only way we can really love is by loving God, knowing God. Verse 8 says, anyone who does not know, love, let me start again. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Is this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent, again, he's sending his only son into the world so that we might live through him in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let me go back. Verse 10 says, in this, uh, in this love, not that we uh, have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And you're like, what in the world does propitiation mean? Right? Like, does it have to do with hair restoration, propitiation? I'm propitiating my hair to regrow. And like, you're trying to figure this out. And I get it. It's a very uh, fancy word. It talks about atonement. And if you look in the Old Testament, what atonement really was, was it was an opportunity to, uh, to restore relationship between God and man. Atonement had to happen because there was sin in the world. And, and that sin caused a gulf, a divide between God and man. And atonement happened whenever the, the Israelites would offer sacrifice that would atone for their sin. And the word atonement, uh, it, it comes from a word that means to cover. And when we look at what what atonement did, it really covered the sins of the people. So they sinned, they messed up, they uh, took their sacrifice before God, and their sins were covered. So God couldn't see it. Have you ever cleaned your house, but you cleaned it by like, like putting stuff in places and you hiding and you're, you know, you're not really cleaning the house, you're covering the mess. Does that make sense? Like, I can see you've had company lately. You've, you've covered, you've atoned your house basically, right? And we do that sometimes. We'll shove stuff under the bed. We'll, you know, pull the covers up and we'll push it down and we'll, we'll figure it out, right? And this is what atonement was in the Old Testament. It didn't totally uh, erase all the problems. What it really did was just cover it up where God couldn't see it. Does that make sense? And the solution for that was Jesus Christ, that Jesus came to be the full atonement. And what that full atonement is, is propitiation. And what propitiation means is that God, Jesus not only receives the wrath of God, because in the Old Testament, God's wrath was basically delayed. Because our God is a holy God. And when he says the wages of sin is death, he means the wages of sin is death. And so that wrath, that righteous Godly wrath has to land somewhere. And so what atonement in the Old Testament did was it delayed, it pushed it away, it covered up our sins. But in the New Testament, when Jesus comes, he arrives on the scene, he's the light of the world, and what he does when he dies on the cross for our sins is he absolves us of our sin. He receives the wrath of God. It's almost like a filter. You've got air filters in your house, and what they do is they, they take all the bad stuff out and they allow the good stuff through, right? Like they clean the air. They allow you to breathe the good air. And what Jesus has done is he has, he has been our sin filter, if you will. He, he gets in our way. The cross gets in the way of God's sight. And when he sends his wrath that should be ours, it encounters Jesus Christ. And when Jesus takes that wrath for himself and lets the, the blessing go through, it al allows the, the, the glory, it allows the favor of God to pass through. That's really what propitiation is. Now that is layman's terms. That is, that is 
Um, that is base level. There's another word that it's expiation and, uh, or expiation. And what expiation is, is the wiping away of sin. And I'm thankful that God wipes away our sins, but I don't want him to just wipe away my sins. I want him to be for us. And when he's for us through propitiation, what happens is Jesus takes all that and we are blessed and favored in God. And so that's what it's talking about, that God is for you. He is on your side. He's not just out to get you. He's not out to just to crush you, but that is what Jesus does, and that's how he works. If God so loved us, in verse 11 it says, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, but God abides in us and his love perfected in us. It's one of the... the difficult parts for people to believe in God is that, well, there's no physical substance of him. But what this verse is saying is that we are the physical substance of God. That if we receive the love of God as we love people, that is the physical substance of who God is. That God, uh, he shows his love through us to the world. That if we receive the love of God, it's not our job just to receive his love, but to be distributors of his love as well. It is our job to show God's love to the people around us because we have received much I didn't deserve any love of God. I don't deserve it. I know what I think about. I know how I want to react. I know the things I want to say sometimes, the things I do say sometimes. I know what my attitudes are. I know what's in here. I don't deserve the love of God. But he gave it to me because he chose to give it to me. And if I can receive that so unwillingly, then who am I to judge somebody else and go, well, they don't deserve the love of God. Look at who they are. Look. How do they, they don't even believe like I believe. They're not even the same background as me. They don't even have the same ethnic, nothing. They're not like, but we do that all the time. We pick and choose who deserves the love of God. But that's not what God has for us. God asks us to do something more. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. I want us to look at this first just for a moment. It says a couple things here. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. It's, it's not like any of the love we can receive in this world. It's totally different. He says that we should be called children of God. We are adopted into the family of God. I've said this before. I think one of, the, one of the biggest problems in Christianity today is our lack of understanding of adoption and what it means to be adopted in. That we're not secondary citizens. That when we are children of God, we're not like sub-children of God. That we have every right as a child of God that, that Jesus does before God that we have full authority, we are seated with Christ, and that we don't have to live the life where we just barely get by and we just hope to make it, that we are children of God, we've been adopted in. Um, <laughs> my, my sister is um, engaged to be married, and uh, the, the man she's, my wife, I mean, my sister has three kids, and my, the man she's engaged to has four kids, is that right? Um, so yeah, some of you just moaned audibly, like, oh my gosh, yeah. Um, and my wife and I were talking about it, and she said, babe, we're going to have to buy gifts for all those kids. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, oh, man. Oh, ooh, how much can we? We can sell a car. We can get by with one car, you know. 
But why would we do that? Well, because they're not kind of nieces and nephews. They are nieces and nephews, right? They're not sort of part of the family. Well, they're, they're, we got them later, so they don't really count, right? They are part of the family. In the same way, we're not just kind of children of God. We are children of God that we are adopted in. Why? Because we deserve it? No. Because we are so good looking? No. Because we're so talented? No. Because God chose us. Because God loves us. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Now, this is a little bit of a confusing scripture, but what it really is talking about is that when we are followers of Jesus, when our devotion is is toward Jesus Christ, that's at odds with the world because the world does not understand that. It's like what Todd said earlier about um, it's it's foolishness to the world, but it's our salvation. There's always going to be a little bit of a, a tension between us and the world, not because we're better but because our our focus is different than the world's is. So the world does not get it. No matter how nice or good or loving they are, if they serve anything else besides Jesus Christ, there's gonna be a little bit of tension in the world. And the reason is they don't understand Jesus Christ. They don't have a love and a devotion for him. So there's always gonna be a little bit of a tension there because the world doesn't know God like we know him. It doesn't make us better. It just means we've been adopted in. So what does that mean? It means we need to show them that love We are now God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared. If you've got kids, you understand this. With my girls, uh, I've missed them being babies, but I love to see them growing up because I love to see them becoming what they're going to be someday. Because I, I see what they could be, right? Like, I see where they can end up. I see all the potential. Right now, for them, they see their life. They see their day-to-day. They see their grades. They see their school. They see their relationships. But, but I am looking at this big picture, and I see what God could do in their lives. And this is the way our Heavenly Father looks at us. He sees you, and he doesn't see you as struggling or barely making it. He doesn't see you in a messed-up relationship, but he sees what you could be someday. He sees all the potential that's wrapped up in you. And, and we don't see that because... What we will be has yet, to be has yet to appear. But we know that when he appears, when he returns for us someday, we shall be like him because then we're gonna be able to see him for all he really is. We're gonna know him face to face. Paul talks about it over and over and over that we're not yet perfected. We're not yet where we should be in our walk with Christ, but someday we will. And that someday is when Jesus returns for his church. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do to prepare? We love, we love really really, really well. We love even when it's difficult. We love even when it's challenging. We love even when it's not convenient. Henry Drummond said this. He says, God is love, therefore love. Without distinction, without calculation, without procrastination, love. How do we prepare to celebrate the birth of our Savior? How do we prepare for the return of our Savior? by loving really, really well. God has loved us in an unbelievable way. So who are we to not love others that same way? You wanna prepare for the return of Christ? Love really well. Start with those in your family. Start with those in your home. Love them really well. Honor them. Not, not in a way that in the world standards, but the 1 Corinthians 13 standards. Love them like that. 
Love the people in your workplace, your coworkers. Love the people that you encounter at Sheets. Love the people you encounter at Walmart. It's really hard to love people at Walmart. Right? <laughs> but God hasn't called us to love the people it's easy to love. Anybody can do that. It's easy for me to love my girls. I'm supposed to love my girls, right? But it's hard for me to love the unlovable. It's hard for me to love people who aren't like me and don't think like me and don't value things like me. But that's who God has called us to love. You wanna honor God this Christmas? Choose to love and see what he will do through that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. And we can't begin to fathom it or understand it. We can't begin to wrap our minds around it. But I'm so thankful that you have willingly given it to us. We didn't deserve it. Lord, there's nothing we've done to deserve your love or to be good enough for your love. But you have chosen to love us. You have picked us. God, you have picked us, every single one of us in this room. You have chosen to love us. God, I thank you for that. Lord, there might not be anybody else in the world that would pick me, but you picked me. So thank you, Lord, for loving me. God, I pray that a spirit of love would just rest on this place, that every person in this room would begin to understand, Lord, your love for them and respond to that love in a way that would glorify you. Lord, let us reflect that love in the world we live in. Lord, in the darkness, let us be a light. And I pray that you'd have your way with us over these next few minutes, God. Just challenge us, soften our hearts, and, and let us receive everything you've got for us. Now, if you would, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm not really even a Christian. I don't think I have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to know his love. I really want to have a relationship with him and know that love. And I want it to change my life. If that's you, would you just say that's me? Pray for me. I want to know Jesus and have a relationship with him. Just put your hand up and let me pray for you. Thank you, over here on my left. You can put your hand down. Awesome. Who else says, that's me, pray for me. I don't, I don't even really have a relationship, but today I wanna make sure I'm right with God and I know his love. Anybody else? Okay. I want everybody in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to repeat this very simple prayer after me. And there's nothing inherently powerful about these words, but it's, the Bible tells us when we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, that's where the power lies. So I, I want you to pray this prayer and believe it in your heart with me. If you're watching online and you wanna pray this prayer, pray this prayer with us as well. So everyone in the room, repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. I choose you because you have chosen me. I commit to chase after you every day of my life. I'm gonna mess up and I'm gonna stumble but I thank you that your love is perfect. So I give you my life and I'm never taking it back. Thank you for loving me in Jesus' name. Hey, can we give God a round of applause right now?